There's something amazing for me about the, the Passion Week, the Easter Week, the last week of Christ on the earth. Um, I love that it always coincides with the lunar calendar, that it's always a full moon. I, just, somehow that just helps me. It just means something to me. I look out at that. I've been, I've been able to go to Israel twice, been able to visit what is known as the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, walk on the Mount of Olives, walk across the Kidron Valley up the other side into Jerusalem. And uh, it's that same moon that he created that shone, shone down on him, that shines down on us. It just it draws me in. And um, it just makes me realize the, the reality, the humanity of all that Jesus carried in his life, all that he did for us. So it's just, just amazing. I could just sit and think about it and smile and feel really good inside for a long time. So glad to be here with you this morning. Glad to have you guys joining us. Um, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the gospel today, which includes the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'm going to share these truths with you. Then we're going to, if you have any questions today, um, if you're new to the church or haven't been for a bit, we, we welcome questions. You can text them in. There's probably going to be a number up on the screen behind me. Um, after that, we will share in communion together, have a closing song, and, and uh, continue to be blessed throughout the day. The Apostle Paul here is writing to a church at Corinth, and they had, uh, they had been erroneous in some of their faith, and they had been mispracticing some of the Christian faith. And so this, this letter has a lot of correction in it, and it seems as though some of them were having some questions about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so he's writing to them to assure them that it happened, and in no uncertain terms and in very strong language, he says, this is what the gospel is about. And he goes on and explains it. Uh, the rest of chapter 15, tremendous chapter, if you have time to read it. Um, a, a strong apologetic, a strong explanation, a strong defense about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Just going to read verses 1 to uh, one, 1 down through 8, but we're just going to study verses 1 through 4. But I just want you to get a feel for it. So follow along if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, another name for Peter, and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, a euphemism for dying. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. He goes on to explain the significance and the truth and the power of the resurrection. So I'd like to ask you, if you would, bow your hearts with me and have a word of prayer. Ask God to bless his word to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. It's wonderful to wake up every morning and know that you're there, that you live, that ours is not a static philosophy, 
or a lifeless creed, but truly it's knowing you, being known by you, somehow having that heavenly spiritual sense that you're with us, Lord, moving on our hearts, moving in our minds as we read your word, as we worship. It all goes beyond the tangible. It all goes beyond the empirical. And it's real, Lord, as you touch our lives. Lord, uh, convince us more firmly this morning about your gospel, about the, the message that you give to mankind. Convince us more firmly, Lord. We commit this time to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul says a lot in four verses. In verse 1 he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. The gospel is to be declared. It's a message from God and it's to be spoken. It's to be told. It's not something uh, kind of hidden. It's not, it's not supposed to be something mysterious that people stumble onto. It's not something that we want to just leave out there kind of blowing in the wind for people to discover if they're lucky or if they happen to, to stumble upon it. But the gospel message, God, if, you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope and pray that you're sharing the gospel message with people, that you're telling them the gospel, what we're going to be studying today. And so, guys, the gospel message is what Jesus came to declare. Of course, he came to give his life, life as a sacrifice for our sins, but he's, he, he's, he, he opened it up by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's the beginning of it is being manifested. And so Jesus came giving that message. John the Baptist, the forerunner, came giving that message. The disciples, as they were commissioned and filled with the Holy Spirit, sent out that message. And Christians, for all these centuries, all these 20-some centuries since then, have been declaring the gospel message. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that it's not something that, that is never heard from your lips. I pray that it is heard from your lips. It seems increasingly that, it, uh, at least in my lifetime, getting a little harder to share the gospel message. It seems like the pushback seems to be increasing. I'm not, uh, I'm not a uh, chicken little kind of personality. The sky is falling and you know an acorn hits you in the head and you think it's the end of the world or something like that. But it, just in my experience, there seems to be just a cultural, especially in this area, a real cultural pushback to somebody sharing the gospel. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, and, and, I, and I've done some research to determine that this is true, that um, the, Bay, the San Francisco Bay Area, according to a group called the Barna Group, and they do research on church stuff, okay? And uh, they, did a, they did research on the most unchurched area in the United States, and it's the San Francisco Bay Area. And then secondly, the most de-churched area in the nation is the San Francisco Bay Area. That means people that have been in church but have decided that they don't want to be in church anymore for whatever reason. And trust me, if some people leave church or leave the faith, quote-unquote, I understand some of the disappointments that come with church. After all, I am a pastor. <laughs> people, are, people are sometimes shocked at what happens when a, pe- a bunch of people gather together. I, I'm hardly shocked anymore, but I still choose to be here because it's with God's people and it's his design. But in the, in the Bay Area, most unchurched, most de-churched. So it is, there is pushback when you speak the gospel, when you read the gospel, when you share the gospel, when you believe the gospel, there is pushback, absolutely. But it's a message to be declared. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, pray for people, share it lovingly, tell them the truth about what, what Jesus has said. 
The word means good news. It was used in common news of the day, back in the ancient days, but it's especially used regarding Jesus. And so we have this long line of preachers. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand. So the gospel is to be received. It's God's intention that it be preached, and then it's God's hope and desire that it be received, that people who listen to the gospel consider it, think about it, hopefully pray about it, or maybe just come to the place where they begin to pray, and then they receive it, and they say, you know what, this, this makes sense to me. And I want to encourage you today, there might be some here that are not Christians, and so glad that you're here, or some that are seekers, or some that have been in the church and not out of the church, in any, any variety of spiritual kind of situations and all of that today. But when I came to Christ, I didn't know a whole lot. I was a 16-year-old kid coming home from youth camp. But I, but I was sincere in asking this question. God, if you're real, then I'm ready. That's all that I said. If you're really real, I'm ready. I didn't understand about all this stuff. I hadn't been raised on the Bible. I was raised in church, but I wasn't taught the word of God. I didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian. But God saw the sincerity of my heart. And he came into my life at that very moment. And it was a real, real experience for me. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, you don't have to buy into any of this. In fact, you know, you, I can't make you buy into it. If I can talk you into it, somebody can talk you out of it. So we're not here for a hard sell. We're here to say, this is what God says. Would you consider it? Would you think about it? And if you get to that point where you're honestly open, would you just kind of throw up a prayer and say, if you're real, I'm ready. Reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. And God will meet you. He always does. He wants the gospel to be received. Paul said in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preached, and you also received. And so if you've never received the gospel, you know, can Christianity come with baggage? Absolutely. Does Jesus come with baggage? No. We do our best to keep it streamlined and pure and clean and uncluttered. And whenever you get with a group of people, there's always going to be all these little tripping spots and all of that. But I'll tell you, Jesus is the real deal. It's the real deal. So the gospel is to be received. There are some people that the world, I mean, that the Bible talks about who love to debate, and that's fine. Debating about the gospel, discussing the the gospel is fine. In fact, I like vigorous, honest, respectable debates. I don't like mud fests where everybody's slinging mud. I heard somebody say once, when when people are slinging mud, everybody loses ground. Kind of clever. I don't like that. I, I don't like getting engaged in those kinds of things online or when you sit down to talk to somebody and in the first you know, two minutes you know that they have an agenda and they're just out to conquer you. not interested in that. But I love discussing Jesus with people that are respectfully wanting to discuss him. I love it. True seekers, people that are considering, people that are thinking things through, absolutely love it. But there are some people that just want to engage in debate and they're not interested in truth. The Bible speaks about them. Look at your notes if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul ta- tells his young protege, he says, Timothy, there are people that are always learning. They're always gaining more information, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're not interested in landing anywhere. They're just interested in investigating. Comparing this with that, this church with that church, and this church age with that church age, and this church father with that church father, so on and so forth. But not interested. They're not, they're not discussing it for the purpose of finding truth. They're just discussing it for the purpose of entertainment, intellectual stimulation. I hope there's no one like that here. And then finally in verse 1, 
He says another thing about the gospel. Look at it, if you would. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached, it's to be declared, which you received, it's to be received, and then it's supposed to be experienced. The gospel is supposed to be experienced and in which you stand. If someone decides to receive the gospel message, they are called to continue in it. They are called to be established in it. They're called to experience it. And we should expect to experience the reality of Jesus in our lives. If you receive the gospel message, if you decide that you want to follow Jesus, it's not a momentary, it's not just a quick prayer or a short season of life. It's supposed to be for your life. Some people show interest in beginning to follow Jesus, then for whatever reason they go off. I'm not here to, to kind of, you know, enumerate those things, but it happens. Paul said in verse 1, you, you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, and now you stand in the gospel. Look at your notes, guys. I love that word stand. It means to be established. It means to find a balance. It means to be firm. These guys had heard the gospel message and they were established. They were firm. They found a balance for life. Now the gospel is certainly more about just being able to navigate through life because I know a lot of people that are not Christians that seem to be navigating through life fairly well. Even to the outward eye, to the, to the natural eye, they seem to be navigating through life even a little bit better than some Christians. But the gospel is not just about the natural temporary life, it's about eternity. And in the end, I'd rather wobble a little bit here and be very firm there than to just find something that kind of works for me and then lose an eternity. And I'll say it this way for anybody, just to be fair, if there is an eternity, but I believe there is. And the Bible says, in fact, that God has put eternity in the hearts of people. There was another group of Christians that Paul talked to. Look at your notes. They were called the Galatian Christians. And Paul said to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, heteros, like heterosexual, sexuality of a different kind. They were turning to what was called a different gospel, which is not another gospel. It's not an acceptable variation. But there are some people who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So what do we have in verse 1 so far? I'm glad that you asked. The gospel is to be declared, the gospel is to be received, and the gospel is to be experienced. And you're to stand in it, and you're to continue on in it. Look at verse 2. By which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel message includes both the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you exclude either one of those things, it's not the gospel anymore. Jesus simply becomes just a a moral, ethical teacher, and he's much more than that. David Gusick says this, Every Christian must take seriously their responsibility to not only have a good past and a good present, but to determine to have a great future with the Lord also. Christians, make up your mind that you're going to keep following Jesus. Make up your mind. And there's going to be discouragement. There's going to be pastors that will burn you. There's going to be parishioners that burn the pastor. There's going to be parking lot attendants that make you park farther away than you rightfully should. There's going to be, you know, teacher, uh, kids that beat up on your kid and Sunday school. There's all these things that could push you away. There's going to be personal failures. There's going to be promises that are unmet. There's going to be temptation that you may give into and then guilt and shame that goes with that. 
There may be some kind of intellectual argument that, that, that captures your mind. Simply this, Paul said, look at if you're going to receive the gospel, continue on in it. Make your decision to continue on in it. It doesn't mean that we follow blindly, but it, it means we make a determination. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Excuse me one moment. I turned away from Christ once. I had six years of my life where I didn't think about him, and I don't know how that happened, except one decision at a time. How did I get there to where I was living self-destructively and he wasn't in my mind anymore? How did I get there one decision at a time? I crossed the line, I crossed the line, I drew a line, I crossed the line, I drew a line, I crossed the line, I quit drawing lines. And then I have to believe in my own personal thing, and you know, it's just my own personal conviction, that I was running out of lines and God knew that and he came for me. And he brought me back. But I know since then that he's been so real to me, I don't know if I could ever turn away from him. I don't know if I ever could again. Guys, Jesus wants to be real to you. And when people turn away, I mean, you can get into big theological arguments about where they say, where they not say, I don't know. But man, once you've tasted that the Lord is good, you just know that he's good. And we're called to know him and we're called to walk with him. I pray that you're walking with him. Christianity, following Jesus, is not some static philosophy. It's having a real relationship with a real God. Let me say this, if, if what you view as Christianity is boring, then you don't know Jesus. You just don't know him. Man, if he walked down center aisle right now, we wouldn't be bored. We wouldn't be bored. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saved or unsaved, everybody's going to bow before Jesus. And, and if, he, if you bow before him and you never knew him and he looks at you and says, why didn't you receive me? You were just so boring. I can't imagine anybody actually saying that. You were so boring. What? I just can't imagine anybody saying that. So following Christ is, is to be an experience. It absolutely is. Look at what John Walbert says here. Look at, the, at your notes here. To reject the bodily resurrection eviscerates the gospel and makes faith vain without cause and without excess. The gospel absolutely demands that we Embrace also the idea of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection. Walver goes on to say, that kind of faith has an unworthy object. If you're a Christian but the resurrection is negotiable, Jesus talked about the resurrection. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then you have an unworthy object of faith. He was deluded or, or fooled or wrong or deceived or whatever. Walver goes on to say, unless one holds firmly, then his belief is in vain. Guys, the, the resurrection of Jesus, you can kind of be a Christian without that, but if, but if, you, if you say I'm a Christian, but the resurrection of, of Jesus is factored out, you have a faith, but it's not in Christ. Maybe you have a faith in the golden rule moral teachings that he brought forth, which are pretty good. I can enjoy a cup of coffee with somebody that en enjoys the Sermon on the Mount and says we should all try to live there. Hey, we've got a lot to agree on right there, don't we? But unless you include the resurrection of the dead, let me just read what I wrote because I can't remember. 
To reject the death or resurrection of Jesus will still leave you with some kind of faith, but it won't leave you with Christianity. It, will, it won't leave you with forgiveness of sins. It won't give you the hope of heaven. You might be able to navigate through life, but you will navigate by your own power. You will leave this world guilty of your sins and judged by God. You can have some form of what you call Christianity, but if you, if you erase the resurrection, you have, you have no assurance of eternal life. Because then who, do you, then who, who is it that you're believing in? What does the gospel do? Look at verse 2. The gospel saves you from judgment. Look at verse 2. By which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel is not just a way to think. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a way to navigate life. You know, when I talk to spiritual people, there's people that say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Okay, understood. I, I get all that. I understand. And, and all they're thinking about is just how to navigate life. How do I get from point A to point B? How do I, make a, you know, how do I raise my kids so they don't end up in jail and get a, get, get a good education? And what sport do I get them in? Or what kind of you know, uh, art thing do I get them in so they can get a, a scholarship, so they can get a good job, so they can get married, so they can just kind of continue on just so we can navigate life. And some people are just concerned with navigating life. And it's a good idea to, to learn how to navigate life. It's a really good idea. But there's no thought of eternity when I talk to my friends that are inclined to believe in Buddhism, as far as I know, there's no explanation of creation. And it's just kind of a roll of the dice about reincarnation. It's just, you know, and some of the whole, the whole Buddhist ideas about not being materialistic and wanting to be free of evil desires and all that kind of stuff, as a Christian, I can totally agree with all that. I don't want to be materialistic. I want, I want to be free from evil desires and all those kinds of things. But how, what do you tell your kids about how the world began? And why is man here? And what happens to us afterwards? And it's just kind of a roll of the dice. And if you're looking for a faith to just navigate life, then, then there's, there's some ideas out there that'll maybe help you be a better person, but it leaves you absolutely bankrupt in eternity. You're guilty of your sins. That's the Christian message. And it's just easier to not have to think about eternity. Look what he says in verse 2. Verse 3, excuse me. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. The Christian faith, guys, is something that happened. It's not an opinion. It's not somebody that's collecting ideas. It's not somebody with a podcast that's kind of amalgamating a bunch of ideas about what he said, she said, they said, and all this kind of stuff about how to navigate life. The Christian faith is based on an event. Christ died for our sins. Christ was raised from the dead. It's not just a gathering of opinions. We need to understand that. It's a historically founded faith. The word sin there at the bottom of page one. This isn't for any of you. It's for all your kids and grandkids. So you'll know what to tell them. You ready? Sin, it means to miss the mark. Johnny, you hit little Bobby. You missed the mark, honey. You drew on the walls again. You missed the mark. To sin means to miss the mark, to commit an offense in thought, word, or deed. Guys, I just want to appeal to you. Look at, throw the Bible out for a minute. Throw the Bible out for a minute. Just run with me if you would. Look at, look at your notes. From the youngest age, we have a God-given or just a sense. Let's factor out the word God just for a minute. Just appealing to what you guys know about life. Okay, are you with me? You okay with that? Okay. From the youngest age, we have a sense of right and wrong and justice. I say that comes from God. 
You can say it comes from wherever. You can say it was learned culturally, passed on by parents and everything. I'll tell you what, before our kids even start listening to us, they know if Bobby takes the toy away from Susie, Susie's pulling hair. Susie says, not fair. That sense of right and wrong is built into us from the youngest age. We have a sense of right and wrong. We have a sense of justice. Every time we say something isn't fair or it's wrong or something like that, we are agreeing that there is this thing called right and wrong. Somebody cuts you off on the road. That's not right. Did I tell you that, guys? I I haven't told this story for a while. Real quick. I used to be a gardener down in Orange County. It's a great mindless job. Put on the, on the headphones, mow the lawns, weed the lawns, weed it, you know, just blow, use the blower. It was just great, great job. Just, you know, just go and do it, my thing and get a little exercise. And I was, I was uh, on a cul-de-sac one time with some really rich houses and I'm blown, I'm blown, I'm blown. I got my, and I see this guy driving down the hill to the cul-de-sac. Up goes the garage door. He pulls in because he has a remote control. Up goes the garage door and out runs a pit bull right at me. And I'm like, well, I'm armed with a blower. <laughs> what am I going to do? And, but the thing that I was really concerned, I, I was amazed, how, you know, when your adrenaline is running, your mind can actually work really quick. But I was also thinking about my client, my customer, who was an old man who was just getting over a heart attack, and I'm thinking, you know, I'll probably survive, but he wouldn't, and he might even die from a heart attack if he saw a pit bull running at him at 60 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, this is wrong. That's a good thing to think is wrong. This is wrong. And so the guy to the dog, the dog makes a U-turn, goes back. I'm thinking, you know, I'm like thanking God. I might have been praying in tongues or something at that minute. I'm like, thank you. And I'm thinking, you know, that's not right. That was wrong. And so I go over there to the guys, knock on the door. I say, excuse me, sir, what the blankety blank do you want? I said, well, you know, your dog and this and that. Well, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, look at, you know, you're getting really mean with me and if your dog comes at me again, I have a pitchfork on my truck and I'll defend myself. You do that and I'll get my gun. I'll blow your head up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work. This guy doesn't want to discuss anything. But this was wrong. So guess who came driving down the street? Starts with a D, ends with an og catcher. The guy happened to know me. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, I got a question for you. He, he wrote the guy up for like seven illegal dogs at his house. I'm like, yes. I like that story. It's like I, I got total satisfaction out of it. Why? Because justice was served. And I didn't have to be the bad guy. Why did Christ die for our sins? Because justice needs to be served. Why do kids fight over toys? Because they have a sense of right and wrong and justice. God, everybody has it. Everybody has it. If you've sinned and you don't have Christ, what are you going to do with your sins? I know what I used to do with my sins. I'd treat them with a bottle or a, a, a drug or a, with this or that or whatever because you can only do so much with guilt or you can start redefining what sin is, which a lot of people are doing, right? Right? How do you deal with guilt? If you don't want to be guilty anymore, either you say it wasn't my fault or my parents made me do it or it's not that bad or it's not really bad at all. You're the one that's bad for telling me that I did the wrong thing. You can get far enough away from truth and a sense of right and wrong that you start redefining things. But I want to take you back to when you were that kid or when you watched your kid, you had a very clear sense of right and wrong and the longer you ignore that, the the, the sooner you will start redefining those things. 
It's just what we do. With all the insane politics and political correctness and all these crazy things in the world, you can't, you know, you're going to get arrested for doing anything now with the thought police and all this other stuff. But Christ died for our sins because God demands justice. Now, you guys liked when I said that the dog catcher came, didn't you? How many of you guys liked that? The rest of you must be cat lovers. I don't know. There's a place for you somewhere. <laughs> Teasing. Why, why was it so pleasant to hear that the dog catcher came? Because you have a sense of justice. Shall we take that from God? Is it okay that we have a sense of justice, but God can't, if there is a God? If there's a God, he has a sense of justice. And he says either you can pay for your sins or you can receive what I did. I sent my son to pay for your sins. Christ died for our sins. And if, you, if that's not something you want, okay. But you've got to deal with your sins somehow. You can redefine them or you can anesthetize. And I've done all that stuff too. But I'll tell you the best, the best option, you know what the best option is? To be forgiven. And the Bible doesn't even say you need, that you're supposed to forgive yourself. The Bible says to receive forgiveness. I was talking to somebody about this just the other day. It's kind of like if you go into the, if you go into the courtroom and you're guilty of a crime and the, you know, you've, you've been through the trial and uh, the judge pronounces you guilty and you talk to the judge and you go, it's okay, Your Honor, I forgive myself. So? I'm the authority. You forgive yourself? That's laughable. Bailiff, did you hear that? Get that down, stenographer. He forgives himself. Hey, everybody, he forgives himself. The judge is the one with the authority. That's where the forgiveness needs to come from, right? If the judge says we're pardoning you, then it counts. Not that you forgive yourself. Guys, don't even try to forgive yourself. You need to be forgiven by God. Christ died for your sins. Christianity is built on a fact, on a historical fact. Another thing that I like about this in verse 2, look at verse 2. By which you are also saved. Very simply, that word saved means, look at your notes, page 2. I love this definition. Saved means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger, to deliver, to heal. I like that, to make whole. First the, go- the, ju- the gospel, first the gospel saves us from judgment and then you know what it starts doing? It starts making us better on the inside. If we'll follow it, if we'll believe it, if, we'll, if we will cooperate with Jesus. I do want to see a, hands, a show, show of hands here. How many of you are a better person since you started following Christ? Healed internally, emotionally, psychologically. Perfect yet? No, not at all. Getting there? Yeah. We're not sinless, but we sin less. We're healed up psychologically, emotionally. We think more clearly. More, more uh, self-control over destructive behavior. It's called sin. All of those things a person starts to experience as they walk with Jesus. First they're saved from judgment, but then they're being transformed and changed. It's a real thing. It's not a self-improvement program. It's a thing that God does in us. Finally, as we get down to verse 3. Paul says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul tells us here, the Bible tells us, that the gospel is God's idea, it's not man's idea. 
Now, now run with me here. Some of you have heard this before. The rest of you are going to get blessed right now. <laughs> the Old Testament contains 300, more or less 300 prophecies about the person of Jesus Christ. That's, those who study the Bible seem to, seem to come up with that number. That the Old Testament, written as many as thousands of years before Jesus was actually born on the earth, they, they read it and they put it together and they say there's about 300 times that the Bible looks forward to the coming of Christ and the person of Christ and describing his life. Mathematicians, and it wasn't me because I'm a language guy, I'm not a math guy, but the chance of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. So one chance in that number right there. Okay? If, you, if I mark a coin, if I take 10 quarters from you and I mark one of them with red and put them in a hat and blindfold you, and you, I say, now pick out the one that's marked, and you pick out the one that's marked on the first try, that's one chance in ten. So that, that's probably not very likely that it's going to happen. But one, one time out of ten tries, you'll get it, supposedly. Ten to the seventeenth power, somebody figured this out, guys with big brains. They said if you had that many coins and put it over the state of Texas it would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. It's a lot of of coin, right? Mark one coin, blindfold the guy, and have him wade through all those coins and pick pick out that coin on the first try. That's the likelihood, according to those who study such things, that's the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. But what about the other 292? I'll say this, Christianity is faith, absolutely. If it, if it was provable, then you could put it in a test tube or something and prove it. Anything's possible, but is it probable? That's the question that all of us need to ask. You could say, well, it's possible that this and that, and it's possible that maybe this, and sure, anything's possible, but guys, is it probable? Whatever you believe in, is it probable? Is it probably true or possibly true? Please, 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 do not hide behind the thing. Well, it's possible that anything is possible. It's possible that I could uh, grow another 12 inches and lose 40 pounds and play NBA basketball. Possible, but it's not probable. <laughs> anything's possible. So don't use that as kind of a reason for saying, I don't want to follow Christianity. It's anything's possible. Ask yourself, what's probable? What's probable? How, how probable, how likely is it that one man is going to fulfill eight prophecies? How probable is it that he's going to fulfill 300 written thousands of years ahead of time? Why am I saying this? Look at verse 3. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Christ died for, Paul says, that which I deceived, uh, excuse me, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible writes about this ahead of time. So it's not a man-made thing that we're looking at here. Uh, I, I wrote a website down there. If you want, you can do that research on your own. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The Apostle Paul was so pleased to find people who received God's word as God's word and not the invention of man. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because you, Thessalonians, you Christians from Thessalonica, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Guys, if anybody here is going to decide whether they're going to believe what I'm talking about today, please don't do it based on me or, or, be, 
or, or, not, or refuse it based on me. Forgive me for a minute. Just forgive me. Just kind of like look at this and kind of go, oh, what's the likelihood of this? And I'm studying this thing. And, and use your mind and use your heart. And ask yourself all these questions that I'm proposing. Forget me. Forget the church. Just open, open the word and begin to read it. And say, okay, God, if you're there, you know, I think I might be open to you. But you're the one that has to prove it because this guy will talk me into it, this guy will talk me out of it, my friends will say this, and this podcast will say that, and all, all the clamor out there. But when you meet him in the word and when you meet him in your heart, it's, it's, all of that is just noise. It's just white noise. And you're not talked out of it because it's real to you. You guys with me? Yeah or no? You have to do this yourself. All of us who are following Jesus, we did it ourselves. We, we made these decisions. We, we, we checked it out. We believed it. We, we researched it. We prayed. We, we measured it out. We weighed it out. Is this worth doing? And we have said, yes, it's worth doing. And it's real and it's true. Paul says at the end of verse 4, or verse 4, he was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I just pulled a couple of verses out. Jesus predicted his own resurrection. If he had been wrong, he would not have been worthy of following. He would have been misled, deranged, or purposely deceptive. Now, please notice these two scriptures. Then I'm going to ask a few questions. I'm going to try to answer a few questions if you have any. And if I can't answer them today, and I'm not, you know, Bible encyclopedia, uh, I'll tell you that, hey, I don't have a good answer today, but I'll find you one and we'll put it on our Facebook page. And it's all fair. Anything goes. Psalm 16.10, David writes about Jesus. We're talking about the resurrection. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. A thousand years before he was buried. Isaiah 53, 750 years before he was killed and buried and resurrected. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. Talking about Jesus. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off, executed from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the father to bruise the son. The father put the son to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Jesus sees those who have come to him in faith, who are his spiritual children, if you will. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Father shall prosper in the hand of the Son. Jesus will see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Dear, dear friends, for everybody that's a Christian today, Jesus is really satisfied about that. Anybody say amen? amen. He's really satisfied, he's really happy. That you looked at him and said, you know what? Yes. He's really satisfied. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He shall die for their sins. Therefore, the father says, I will divide the son a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. 
He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Why did I read that? Because here in verse 4, Paul says he was buried, rose the third day, according to the scriptures. 750 years before that happened, Isaiah wrote about it. Because God mapped it out. What do we have so far? Quick summary. The gospel is declared. You heard the gospel today. It's to be received. We hope that everyone here receives it. It's to be experienced and retained. It's not just mind candy. It's life. It saves you from judgment. It makes you whole. It heals you. And it's not man's idea. Church didn't come up with it. I read an article or an interview from Christopher Hitchens. Hitchens, is that his name? Is that his name? Boy, I've got a bunch of unknown Hitchens. One of the leading atheists in the world today. Uh, And basically he just said the church made up the gospel. And I'm like, no, sorry, they didn't. They're not that smart. Church isn't that smart. Say it again. I don't want you guys to miss this. The gospel is declared, received, experienced, retained, it saves you from judgment, it makes you whole, and it's not man's idea, it's God's idea. Can I just ask you some questions? And I just want you to ask yourself these questions. Down at the bottom of page two, I just think about the way that people deal with life, and we have to deal with life. We have to deal with life somehow. Uh, any alternatives that, that people have how do they compare to what we've looked at today? Just, just take the gospel over here and then take whatever it is that you embrace and just do, I'll just do an honest side-by-side comparison. You know, we, we bought a car this year. I was looking at side-by-side comparisons and reviews all over Carfax and all this kind of stuff and mileage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just do an honest comparison of, of what, what the, the Bible talks about the gospel and whatever it is that you embrace. Just do an honest comparison in the privacy of your own heart and mind. Just do an honest comparison. But ask yourself these questions. Please, ask yourself these questions. What is it that's being declared to you? Or maybe, maybe a better question is, what are you listening to? From whom do you take your cues and suggestions for life? We all take cues and suggestions from somebody. What are, you, are you receiving what you're listening to? Those podcasts, those friends, are you, are you buying into what they're saying? Are you even ready to commit to any belief or is it just better to kind of just float along the tops of the trees? Is your belief system working in the here and the now? And maybe it is, but will it work in the hereafter? Or do you even think there is a hereafter? Have you been able to retain your current belief system or do you bounce around from this philosophy to that philosophy to that philosophy? The gospel is to be retained and held on to. Does your current faith system relieve your guilt that's a good one or do you find yourself thinking you have to do more good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds so you can feel better or do you have to anesthetize to get rid of guilt I hope not finally what or who is the origin of your belief system and how reliable is that origin whatever you believe in where did it come from how do you know you can trust it Those are the questions you have to ask. You have to. Maybe you're saying, you know, I don't don't want to think about those things. I don't have to think about those things. You at least have to think about guilt and shame. And maybe so far, whatever you're doing is working, but 
there may come a time when you really make the big blunder and whatever you're doing is not going to assuage and, and, and wash away that shame. You have to decide. Oh, we have another question. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I've had, I have not had a personal interaction with Jesus or God, but I am very close with people who have had, and I want to believe this Jesus like they do, but I'm afraid that if I trust that heaven is real and Jesus died for my sins so that I may experience eternal, eternity with God, that will mean giving up so many things in my life. You're right, it will. My boyfriend of 20 years that I love and live with, he doesn't seem interested in God. Okay? My past is full of drugs and partying, but it made me who I am. I understand that. How am I supposed to follow Jesus without giving up my entire life? Why don't you just give up the next thing? You, you don't have to decide all the things that you're going to give up. What, you know, if, number one, do you want to follow Christ? Just ask, ask that question. Is he worth following to you? And then what's the first thing that he wants you to do? Not what's the next 20 things he wants you to do. What's the next thing he wants you to do? And then decide if you're going to do that. If, if Let's say you're going to give up, you know, I don't know, whatever. You're going to give up whatever. And then you give it up and it's like it's hard and I really had to go through some things to give that up, but I gave it up. And then a month goes by and you kind of go, that was a good decision. That was a good decision. I think God was right. I think I'm going to trust him a little more for the next thing. And then he wants me to do some positive things and I started doing this positive thing. I kind of started reading this, my Bible a little bit. I don't understand everything, but I understand a little bit. And you know what? I'm starting to change. And it's just this relationship thing. Guys, it's like making a friend, isn't it? You meet somebody, you're not going to trust them with your car keys <laughs> or your bank, you know, your routing number to your bank account. Maybe after five years you will because you trust them. You've gotten to know them. Get to know Jesus. And today, maybe it's just like, Jesus, I'm here. Let's meet. I want, I want to check you out. I want to, I want to see. The Bible says, taste and see if the Lord is good. It's like our kids eating vegetables. I don't want to eat that. Taste it. <laughs> taste and see that the Lord is good. Joe's going to lead us in a, in a song. The folks that are going to pass out communion, if you could come forward now. and If you're a Christian... Take, take the bread, take the cup, hold on to it. We'll partake together. If you want to say yes to Jesus today or kind of come back to him, take the bread, take the cup, we'll partake together. If you want to just extend yourself and say, Lord, oh man, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm really, I want to take that step of faith with you. I want to take that chance of faith with you. Take the bread, take the cup, and we'll partake together. So, go ahead. Lord, thank you for uh, your great love for us, Lord. Thank you that, um, man, you reach into the lives of people such as us. Your love is so powerful within your own heart, Lord. It's so motivating to you to find your creation and um, to look upon us. You you described us as like sheep without a shepherd and and, uh, you want us to return to the overseer of our souls. That's you, Lord. And so we're here to say thank you, God for being real. We're here to say thank you, Jesus, for taking our sins. We're here to acknowledge and and recognize and uh, agree with the fact that you were raised from the dead, all those witnesses, all that proof. And then we have this amazing testimony within our own hearts, the reality of you living within us. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we honor you in this place, God. Pray for this congregation, for all, all that are here, that we would experience you, that we take that thing that we've heard and it would become the most real thing in our lives, God. 
It's, gonna, it's that thing that will never pass away. It'll go on into eternity. I pray it'll be more real than our friendships and our hobbies and all of these things, Lord, that you'd be amazingly real to us, God, life-changingly real to us, Lord. So we, we thank you. We partake of the bread. We partake of the cup. We do so now, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's partake together.